Okay, so we're in Deuteronomy 19 today, and um, he's still giving them the, the instructions for when you go into the land. So he says, when the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distance and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. So we're talking about the cities of refuge. Yeah. Again, that's just, he's reminding them. This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with, here's an example. Here's like if they, if, if there's no, I mean, if you know that there's malice between them, don't assume it was an accident. Okay. But, you know, here's an example. As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long and uh, because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. So, in other words, you have to make sure that the city of refuge is close enough that he can get there, because if it's too long a journey, then the the uh, avenger is going to be able to catch up to him. And overtake it. So where did the wife be in good shape? No yes. One. Yes. Um, yeah. Therefore I command you, verse 7, you shall set apart three cities, and if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I command to you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to these three. Oh. Yeah, so he's saying, you know, now, if, you know, when it, if the Lord enlarges your territory because you're able to remain faithful, then you'll, need, you'll have enough territory that you'll need to add three more cities. Lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies, and he flees into one of these cities... Then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. And just that, that statement, your eye shall not pity him, makes me think of the people who end up becoming like fans and, and adorers of of these people who've committed really heinous crimes, and you know, it's like, no, you know, don't be, because there's there's something there's something very twisted in loving that person in the way a lot of people do. You know, the fan letters that they get and the different things that go on. Yeah, and how popular in Maryland, or right? Or Manson, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's and and so that reveals. Hello, ballet girl. <laughs> so, so he's saying, don't you know? Don't let your eyes shall not pity your eyes shall not pity him. Purge that evil. So, verse fourteen: You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. So, the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So, you know, don't go out to your neighbor the edges of your field and give yourself a foot into your. You know, don't move it. 
<laughs> put into your neighbor's your neighbor's field. Um, <laughs> and it was interesting. I saw a documentary even up into the Middle Ages about how the you know this was this was a really important thing in that there the the demarcation of the lines between the the neighbor's fields was really important. And if your if your cow grazed on your other neighbor, you owed them for whatever the cow ate. And you know if your if your uh, produce grew over the side, then your neighbor had a right to it. And they would bring all the elders of the city out, even in England, you know, they'd bring them out and they would measure and they would determine, nope, this much is there, you owe him this much. And, and, and it was just, it was very serious business. Wow. So, I mean, we kind of, we kind of do that today. If you, if you have like a boundary dispute and you go to court and have to prove all that, but it's just. Yeah. If that person the, is really concerned about it, but most people, if they treat is over and they have mm -hmm. oranges or something like it falls on your side. Don't even worry about it. Right, right. In, it's concerning. Yeah, I guess. It yeah, well, because I, I guess there's a difference. Well, part of it has to do, I think, with the heart of the person whose property is impeded mm -hmm. upon, and part of it has to do with the person, the heart of the person impeding. Because even the most generous person, if you're, I mean, if their if their tree is growing over into your yard. Generous people don't usually mind if you pick the fruit on that side of it. Right. But if you keep moving, if you are actually moving the landmark yeah. over and taking their land, then that's going to be a different issue. Oh, I yeah. mean, no matter how generous you are, you know, you it's it's only generosity if you actually have the freedom to share with them as opposed to the stealing of it from you. That stops being generosity. So I, I do. I remember when we lived in Hawaii, just walking down the street and the the fruit, you know, that would hang over. Into the into the sidewalk, it was you know, nobody. Every, you, that was for everybody. That was the uh, overabundance, you know. And that was for you to glean. Yes, that's right. That's right, you know. And and maybe if you started coming with bags and taking everything from that side, but you know, sharing with your neighbor is a privilege and a blessing. And and how wonderful that your tree can provide nourishment for people walking past. And you know, so you know, but but when there is a dispute, it yeah. says. Um, you know, because that, that is your inheritance, and don't let that happen. So verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Mm -hmm. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. <clears throat> if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So, which is exactly what Yeshua did with the woman caught in adultery. Hmm. He, he turned the focus onto the people bringing the accusation yeah. and revealed them to be false witnesses who did not want what d done to them, what they were trying to demand be done to her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and the evil walked away. <laughs> so verse 20, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Wow. So now taking that and, and thinking back to where that was first talked about and then what Yeshua says about it, um, this, the, the, the life for life thing was, you know, in the, ca in the case of, of applauded murder, 
then you needed to purge the evil from among you. But my understanding of how, how this was, was understood and was supposed to play out as far as the eye for eye, and again, this was even addressed in the medieval uh, documentary, but it, you know, when you go back and if you read the, the rulings from the Talmud, it was more that there was a, a, an amount of value assigned to every body part. And so the person who accidentally killed his neighbor, he wouldn't be put to death as a murderer because he wasn't, but he would be obligated to compensate the family for the loss. Um, if you are in a fight and you know somebody's hand gets mangled and, and you caused it, you are responsible for compensating. So it's kind of what we, even what we have today with insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, um, you know, so, so there, is, there is nothing wrong with a system that compensates people for their losses. But when Yeshua is talking about it, he doesn't say, he doesn't actually say, ignore that, God didn't really mean that, or that doesn't apply anymore. But he's addressing a different issue because he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and I tell you, you know, turn the other cheek. Right. Because there's a difference between you having a right to receive compensation for a loss and you demanding compensation as in, with an entitled heart. You know, it's, it's one thing for, for the community to look at a situation and say, yes, you were wronged in this way, your field was taken, you know, this, this is owed to you, we're going to enforce that. And it's another thing to, to go with a heart that says, you took, you owe me, you have to give back. And, and so Yeshua isn't saying that you shouldn't be compensated for your loss. But he's saying your heart should be such that you turn the other cheek and you are not seeking vengeance for yourself. You know, if the avenger of blood goes after someone, it's one thing, but if you're seeking your own vengeance, then, then you've gotten into a not very good place. And so, yes, you are entitled to these things, but it should never, never be something that you feel entitlement about, you know, and that you, that you start demanding and, and, and being, being evil in response to. You know, a response of evil for evil is not okay. So Deuteronomy 20, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? 
Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. So, so he, wow, he's eliminating them all. Yeah, he says, when you go up against an enemy and they outnumber you, have no fear because God is going with you into battle. And even more than have no fear, the officers are supposed to send home all these groups of people so that you're an even smaller army. Wow. So very counterintuitive. <laughs> but, but clearly it's communicating that, that the battle is not the battle is not where their focus is supposed to be. You know, yes, they're going out into battle, but not in their own strength. Right. So verse 10, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. So you go out and, and this... this um, in my archaeology class years ago, they, they, we talked about this not being a completely unique concept. It's not like the Israelites were the only ones doing this. But basically, when, when a, a city would go out against another city or you know, a community on another community, then they, they would each send out a representative, and the one representative would give the terms of, of what they're demanding. And if they were able to negotiate something, then they would be able to be in peace together. If they did not come to terms, then um, then they would go to battle. And whoever won would would take the air, you know, take the town and, and any of the spoils. And and so their terms were, you know, we're going to take your city. You can live in peace with us or not. <laughs> and if the people said, you know, okay, well yeah, we'll go ahead and 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 serve you. And that doesn't necessarily I mean what that practically looked like, who knows? I mean, I, I would not, I would not, I do not read this and think, you know, oh, they became their property slaves in that kind of a way, but more that you, we're going to govern over you. We are going to, we're in charge now, and, and you, you answered us. So verse 13, and when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword, but the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil you shall take as plunder for yourselves. You shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. So, again, no, not a happy thing. Not something I read and go, praise the Lord, God's good. You know, it's, it's something I read and I go, I, I have a hard time with this. You know, this, this, is, this is not easy to... To read, and yet it's again looking at the context of the time, not really necessarily different from what how anyone approached this kind of thing at that time. Just very much with the idea that, and and it was actually very much the idea that whoever won, their god had given them the victory, and whoever lost, their god had not given them the victory and yeah. so so this isn't this isn't like a uniquely jewish look how horrible they were in the ancient world idea this is a picture to us of what war in the ancient world looked like and meant to them and and i, I think it's okay to just take it as that so um, you know and these are the cities that are very far from you which are not cities of the nations here because the nations there god was actually driving out completely <coughs> 
So, but in the cities of the, these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. Wow. But you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. Mm. Um, and again... If people fled and took off and didn't come back, you know, that it, and it's just the people who, who stay and fight. Or, and, and again, people always had the opportunity of converting. You know, we see with Rahab, hey, yeah, save my true. family. You know, it's, it's not like there was no mercy in this picture. It's just an acknowledgement that these communities were so given over to evil that, you know, anything worth saving was going to get saved, but the rest of it was not worth saving. Um, and if you save it, they will teach you to serve their gods, and that's kind of what happened so when they, they didn't. These people were in place the first time Abraham came into Canaan? Um, a, yeah, a lot of the they communities were, were yeah. There. Yeah, and he, he dwelt among them, and, you know, there's some mm. different interactions with them, and... And they just came worse, became worse and worse. They got worse and worse. Of, One of the Jewish <laughs> traditions is that Job, because Job lived in the land of Canaan and was so righteous. Mm -hmm. One of the one of the uh, main Jewish teachings on this is that at this point, like that Job had, that these people had been kept alive and allowed to continue in the land because of Job, because mm -hmm. Job was in their midst. Mm -hmm. His righteousness was enough to keep everyone. Mm -hmm. There, and then after he died, but, you know, that that really coincided with with the Israelites in Egypt, and it was time, and God took out all these people that He had been very slow to anger with because of Job, mm -hmm. and was done with them. So, um, so yeah, when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it falls. What an intriguing little add-on. About the trees? About the trees, yeah. you know. Um, and it's funny, one of the, one of the criticisms that, that was really big of, that in several of the reviews I read about the movie Noah is, oh, it makes it sound like God's an environmentalist. He is. is. <laughs> I, mean, I would say he is. Not, I, I'm not arguing for you know a political position like we are deal, you know might see in certain things today. But very much God cares about the land, and He cares about it enough to right here when He's talking about you know it was the land that cried out for mercy. It was the land that He says cried out to get the yeah. sin off of it. And so he's I wonder like, what their definition of environmentalist is for them to say that. Well, it's, it's clear that. You know, he's the one man. Just treat the land. Any kind well, there, of there are kind of there, there are two approaches to the environment that that um, are, um, and 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 it's interesting because the I think the movie actually does put them against each other as as opposing views. One is that God has given the earth and and the command to have to exercise dominion over it is a command to take care of it, to to. Um, 
you know, protect it and, and to tend to it. And the other is that dominion is power and authority, and I have the right to do, because I'm a human, I have the right to do whatever I want to the earth. And, and both of those, you know, I, I hear that, that second one a lot, even yeah. in, and, and it's, you know, we've talked about the whole left behind theology stuff. Very often, one of the things that, you know, again, we don't actually know what's going to actually happen at the end, and so, so I try not to be too dogmatic there, but one thing that concerns me a lot about those teachings is that very often the people who, who adhere to that strongly have that second idea of, well, we can do whatever we want to the earth because we're out of here. You know, God's going to take us and we can, you know, we can trash it and it won't, we can't, we don't have, we're not big enough to, de we're not big enough to destroy the earth. Mm -hmm. So we can do whatever we want. And while I don't think that man alone is going to destroy the earth, I mean, with nuclear weapons stuff, we have the ability to do a lot of damage, but I don't think that people, you know, it's, I don't see it as like we have the power to destroy all this stuff. But why is power even at play here? God gave us dominion. We're, we're responsible for it. I think we're going to answer to God for it. When someone leaves you, and there's so many parables, when, God, you know, when, when the master would go and leave you in charge of something, he'd come back and want to know what you did with it. <laughs> I think, wow, I don't want to answer for this. <laughs> I don't want to answer for what I see out there. You know, and even because here, they're, they're taking a town that God's going to give to them. And he says, when you, you know, if it's a long siege, don't cut down the fruit trees. You may eat from them, but don't cut them down. Because mm -hmm. you know, you, it, it's possible you might think, hey, if we cut off all their food, if we cut off their food supply, this will be over quicker. And he's saying, no, you are not going to harm the trees in your pursuit of this town. That's not a way to go about it. So I just, I just find it interesting that all of this, you know, and preserve these people and take the... And, Leave the fruit trees alone. Leave them alone. They kill everything they breathe. Yes, yeah, right. That's right. So, so jumping to First Samuel, um, we at the end of last time, Eli's sons had the big idea to go and take the ark out into the middle oh, of the battle yeah. that they were losing, and and uh, Eli didn't stop them. And he sat on the side of the road when the news came back that they had died and the ark had been taken. Uh, Eli fell over and he had gotten very clearly was a glutton I mean it's not like he himself you know, people mm -hmm. go how could he raise his sons but yes he was the high priest but clearly he was not mm -hmm. the wise man of, of, of all of his own faculties because um, he was so heavy that he fell and broke his neck yeah. um, so that's where we are right now so when the Philistines captured the ark of God they brought it from Ebenezer <coughs> to Ashdod then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And now, I, part of me often wonders, I go, you know, people, only certain people were allowed to carry the Ark. So there's part of me that goes, why didn't God just strike down the people and leave the Ark sitting in the middle oh, of the field? You know? <laughs> How are the Philistines able to pick up that Ark and take it someplace? Yeah. And, and if it just... And I do, I go... Because they weren't his people? That's not how I'd do it. But he had a plan. He did, because he what, what happens is actually quite amazing. And, and it's a reminder to me that sometimes the way things look like they're happening aren't always what's happening. That's true. And that sometimes if we step back and get to watch the big picture play out, right. 
we go, oh, okay, that, that, I see what God's what doing he here. And, wanted him to take it yeah. there for a reason. And there are times to act. Mm-hmm. I think that Eli stopping his sons mm-hmm. would have been a very good thing. There, there are times, I mean, there are times to do what is clearly the right thing to do. Right. But there are also times where that boat has, you know, that ship has sailed and, and now we're into letting God work something out in this. And sometimes when we jump in at that point, then we just cause trouble. And, and where is this place? Is this a place? This is, Dagon? Or is uh, well, the da- Dagon is their, their God. Oh gosh. Yeah, okay. so they took it into his temple, the, the temple of their god. Yes, yes. And when it is, it's I love this story. And when the people <laughs> and when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. That's right. That's right. That's right. So they they did. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. And I love that it, he fell face first. So basically their, I, their idol fell in worship of the ark. <laughs> so they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Whoa. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. (laughs) This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, you know, so the Philistines who put it in their territory, they're like, dude, what should you do to us? They sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God to Israel there. Oh, my goodness. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. Thank you. That's yeah. what you did in the first place. Yeah. So they basically <laughs> just moved it to different town, Philistine towns thinking, well, maybe it'll be okay here. And after a couple of them, it goes there and they're like, we don't want this. <laughs> Why do you hate us? Send it back. Send it back. So they... Um, Okay, so for the there was a was it, so they they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the city the cry of the city went up to heaven. Wow. So first Samuel six. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. That's how long it took for all of this. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. 
They said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him with a great, with a guilt offering that you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. So, so they're saying, don't, don't send this ark back empty handed. Give their God a bunch of gifts and, and as a guilt offering and, you know, ask that you can be healed um, and, and that it will be told to you why his hand, you know, if not, that you'll know why, that you'll know what's going to happen. Yeah. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Mm. So it wasn't just tumors that they had. They, they, they were infested with rodents. They broke out in tumors. You know, this, this is, is not pretty. Um, so you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? Yep, okay, so they're going, okay, we thought we could take down this God. Clearly we cannot. Mm -hmm. Let us learn the lesson that Pharaoh would not learn. <laughs> We're going to acknowledge, mm -hmm. apologize, give a guilt offering. There you go. And send them on their way. We don't want gnats and firstborn children. That's right. They're like, we know where this goes. And, and, and yet, it's not, it's not like they're worshiping God. It's not like they're converting. You know, they're not becoming worshipers of the God of Israel. They are simply acknowledging. Well, you would think they would want to accept him since he knocked their God on his face and yeah. took his Took his head off? Yeah, you would think. <laughs> Except at this point, oh they God. are also afraid of him. Yeah, that's true, too. And, and you cannot love that which you fear in this way. And so, you know, there, there, may, be, I, there may be some in this who went, I want that power, you know. And, and, but that's not the big story, so we're, you know, we're hearing, we're hearing about this. But, yeah, they, they were, and also this is how evil they were. I mean, they, yeah. they didn't want, because remember, yeah, I mean, he's more powerful. He comes with all that morality, mm -hmm. and yeah, maybe just get him off our land. He can go be all powerful over there. We'll stay over here. Dagon doesn't put those restrictions on us. We'll glue his head back on. You know, yeah, we'll. No, not even <laughs> <laughs> so you know, people are driven by very different things. Yeah, that's true. So why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts after he had dealt severely with them? Did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. Oh, my goodness. The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And, and I'm guessing part of that is because the cows would be inclined to turn around and go back to their calves. Mm -hmm. So if they walked out of the town and continued and took it home, despite that innate instinct to turn around and go to their calves then that would, that would very obviously be 
this god doing something as opposed to oh, taking, yeah. you know, any That's cows. You're getting... Um, so, and they put the Ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. So lo the lowing probably being the crying because they were getting farther and farther away from their children. I mean, as a mother, this kind of breaks my heart, but I understand what they were, you know, I understand the test they were putting out there. So they turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were recaping or, I'm sorry, reaping their wheat harvest. Recaping makes no sense. Reaping does. Reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, and one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. Can you hear me? He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up away from us? So they went, sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. So 70 people who looked upon the ark died even in the town where it was supposed to be. Wow, all they did was look at it, and yet they yeah. were able to... And I kind of want to go, that makes me want to go dig around in, in the, the Hebrew there as to what, you know, did their eyes just turn towards it, or were they opening it and investigating, you know, were they... Looking in it. What's in there? Yeah, yeah, what, you know, were they just, did they just look at it, or was it... Because they're, yeah... So I, I want to go dig around in there this afternoon because I think that there, there's that's probably uh, representing some a particular thing, but um, mm. but yeah they you know but but at that point and it may just be because they were doing all of this celebrating and all of these sacrifices and stuff and maybe this is a reference to looking upon it as we should keep this here. Because there's that idea, you know, you're not supposed to look upon your neighbor's wife and you're not supposed to look upon oh. your neighbor's cow and maybe they were looking upon the ark in that way and thinking, I want it. Oh, the Philistines brought it back. Now we got the ark. Now we got well, the power. Did it go? Where did it actually go? I was on the phone. Um, it was, where was it taken to? Uh, a Beth Shemesh. They took it to Beth Shemesh, oh, where Joshua's. Yeah. So it's okay. not. It wasn't returned to the tabernacle. Right. Where they took it from. Yeah. Bring it back. So there. my guess is that this looked upon is is that kind of looked upon like. Yeah. God chose to bring the power here, and God's like, oh, you're dead. 
<laughs> you 70 people who are going to cause this uproar and try and think that you control me, let me just make it very clear. I am not, this is not my new resting place. This is not where I'm, I have not chosen you to be my new house. Because as soon as those people are struck dead, they're like, um, Kiriachirin, come take the ark. <laughs> Get it out of here. We're done. We don't need it. And so, so I, I suspect that that's, that's what that looked upon represents. Yeah. Yeah. That, that uh, covetous looking. So, yeah. Ark taken. Ark brought back. Dagon headless, handless. Stump of a god. But they say, give That's us right. him and yeah. not the God of Israel. Yeah, I know. Give us him, though. We can deal well, with Dagon. You know why, though? Because Dagon's <laughs> not necessarily Dagon. more powerful. Exactly. Yeah. Dagon's not more powerful than them. They, yeah. Dagon's, you know. They tell he, Dagon kind of what to do. <laughs> well, he they do. And I'm sure he tells them what to do a lot more than they even realize because that's usually how that works in order to access a certain amount of power, you got to give up a certain amount of authority, and yet at the same time, they got to maintain and retain the kind of authority that they wanted, and, and yeah. that was not to do righteousness, and Dagon didn't want that from them, so that was fine. You know, they liked what they got from him. They didn't mind what they had to give to him. And, and so I wonder how much of that is coming, like when you have these false gods, because we know you know, this bad spirit, so how much of that is attached to that, or it's the priest, or I don't know if they would call it a priest, whoever's controlling Dagon, so to speak, whoever is the main one who could go before him, say, Dagon, what should we do, what should I tell the people, you know, is it out of his mind, or is it well, really it's, from... Well, it's, I mean, there. I think that there are spirits that Attaches that are God them. over certain areas and certain okay. lands and certain, and I think that, um, you know, it's, I think that, because God doesn't, God, God doesn't say he is the only spiritual authority. He says they all answer to him. Right. He doesn't allow anything, you know, that, that they serve a purpose. Right. And and that that he is more powerful than them, and that he calls his people to worship him exclusively. And so, so I do think, I do think that there's probably a combination of those spirits giving them messages, as well as uh-huh. them. I mean, just like within the church, a lot of people, like I said last time, you know, by the God by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit you. and my own common sense, you know, and and so I'm sure there's some of that going on. But but yeah, it's it's definitely. To this day, people, you know, I would even go, and, and here, you know, please hear what I'm actually saying here, because there are a lot of different groups that I, I listen to talk about God, you know, mm-hmm. the, the God of Israel, but the God they're describing is not necessarily the God that I see in scripture, or the God that I've encountered, or, or, or and, and I find it interesting how very often the picture that people want to worship of God often allows them to continue to do the things that they aren't totally willing to give over to him. And, and you know, I'm not saying I'm immune or that, you know, that I think, I think a lot of it is subconscious. I don't think people are consciously redefining God, but I think that, I think that the desire for the heart needs to be to really see who the God of Scripture is, even where it makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> 
<laughs> where it, you know, the was talking with some people this last week on on Facebook, different questions about, you know, if if the text challenges your doctrine, shouldn't it be the text that wins out? You know, if the Bible, if you realize that the Bible is saying something different from what you were taught, do you disregard that reading of the Bible as though that must be wrong because my doctrine says this, or are you willing to examine your doctrine? Yeah. And, and I definitely think that just because something seems to be saying something in the, in the text doesn't mean that you throw out everything and, and you just embrace this new idea because sometimes people get it wrong and sometimes you've learned something else. You go, oh, it does, you know, okay, it does do this. But I think that I think that there are a lot of times where people have their doctrines as the final authority. Yeah. And I think that when we have the actual scripture, whatever it may turn out to be saying as the final authority, it's much easier to to really study it without putting up those walls of, well, I'm not going to read it because it might be going there. Or, you know, so I think, I do think, but I think we all struggle with that. And I think if we had grown up in a community that worshiped that God and taught us to do these things, there are things that everybody, when they when they encounter the Torah, when they encounter God, they're like, you know, they, they encounter Yeshua, they go, oh, I'm going to have to give up this. Yeah. That's going to be hard. I don't know if I want to do that, you know. And sometimes wrestling with that even precedes their ability to respond to the Lord. So, yeah, if it was your whole community being overdone, I, oh, I think that I would, I understand the, we don't want the tumors, so we're not going to keep this here, but we're not going to actually worship <laughs> that God and his requirements. So, anyway, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen.